Omega Tau. Science and Engineering in your headphones. Hello, welcome to a new episode of Omega Tau. This is the second episode on parabolic flights. I joined the DLR in September on their 34th parabolic flight research campaign where they installed various different experiments, scientific experiments in the cabin of the Airbus, of Novespas to do research. Now, this episode is English and it does not cover the science. I did that in the previous German episode. This episode looks at the actual parabolic flights. So all my guests are from Novespas and we will look into little bit of the company history and an overview with Jean-Francois Clairois. He is the founder of the company. Then we'll talk about flying the parabolas themselves. I talk with uh, chief pilot Eric Delsal. And then we're going to look at medical aspects. As you know, um, weightlessness might confuse your vestibular system a little bit. So I chat to one of their doctors, Hervé Normand. And finally, we will talk about safety aspects with Nicolas Barbotin. After that, I'm going to talk a little bit about my own experience down there. Um, I was scheduled to fly on the airplane, and I did fly, <laughs> but we had to return because of a technical issue. I'll talk a bit about that towards the end of the episode. But for now, let's get started with uh, Jean-Francois. Jean-Francois Clairvoy, astronaut for 34 years. And I flew three times on board the space shuttle Atlantis and Discovery, um, seconded by the European Space Agency to the 14th group of uh, NASA astronauts. And I've been working on uh, ISS resupply ship, and uh, I've been uh, chairing the Novespace company, a subsidiary of the French Space Agency, for more than 10 years. This company owns and operates the Airbus uh, A310 Air0G. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what we're going to talk about. Normally, we would spend three hours talking about your spaceflight experience, but uh, today we're going to focus for yeah. about 10-15 minutes on, on the novice bus uh, aspect. So you were the person who basically founded this. It was your idea. Talk a bit about how that happened. Uh, soon after I was selected as, as an astronaut uh, when I was 26 years old, I was sent to the test pilot school in France to take my... Uh, flight test engineer license, mm -hmm. and I made my thesis in that school on parabolic flight. I knew the principle. Mm -hmm. I knew it's uh, aeronautics at the service of astronautics, mm -hmm. and I thought um, that's a perfect uh, kind of subject for a thesis, for research. Mm -hmm. Had you been a pilot before? Or and, uh, you have an I'm a private pilot, but there yeah. I was there as a flight test engineer. Okay, right, okay. Mm -hmm. So I defined a program to to develop a software that defines for a given aircraft ah. the best maneuver. Uh -huh. And for a given maneuver, you have four parameters that define a maneuver for an aircraft. Initial altitude, initial velocity, yeah. the number of Gs during the pull-up, yeah. and the pitch angle at which you stop the pull-up to start uh, the ballistic phase, right. the zero G. I did this on the Alpha Jet for real. Ah, nice. <laughs> uh, my model worked perfectly. Uh -huh. Then I did in a simulator with a Mirage 2000, mm -hmm. with a post-combustion afterburner, you can get one minute in zero-g. No ah, Concorde could have given But there one. was no big cabin to yeah. float around. <laughs> the Concorde could have given yeah, yeah, one yeah, yes. well, yeah. And uh, as I was finishing my thesis, a colleague from the flight test center told me, you know, there is a caravel 
It's uh, the first airline uh, jets uh, mm -hmm. made by France. And uh, I, I think the first at all airline jets in the world mm -hmm. to transport yeah. people. Yeah. And I, um, he told me this, this uh, airliner will be scrapped and it has a lot of potential. Uh, why don't we apply your research on this aircraft? Mm -hmm. So we asked the director general of the French space agency, would you support us to develop the first zero-G program in Europe with mm -hmm. this caravel? He said, okay, with the condition that ISA and DLR mm -hmm. follow us mm -hmm. and stop going fly the US. on the US right. NASA aircraft. Yeah. And they say, okay, so I visited the program manager of ISA, the parabolic flight program manager of DLR, and um, they told us, uh, okay, if you maintain your um, if you succeed in the development of this aircraft, the qualification, the modification, yep. we will follow you. Cool. And everything was successful. Mm -hmm. And what was nice for me, my privilege was, I started from scratch mm -hmm. a totally new program. You know, when you are a test pilot or a test engineer, usually you join a program that had already started before you. Yeah, yeah. And you leave before the program yeah, ends yeah, yeah, when right. it's long. Yeah. But this, I, it, it was nice because... I had to start from scratch the whole thing, yep. defining the, the 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 pilot training, defining the mm -hmm. modification to the aircraft, wow. defining the process to accept uh, scientists with their hardware in mm -hmm. the plane, and That's really we cool. celebrate this year thirty years of public flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was seconded by the astronaut office of the French Space Agency, half time, Aha. as the flight test engineer of that program. Yeah in the French test flight center, mm -hmm. which, which works inside the Ministry of Defense. Yeah. So uh, all astronauts have, in addition to their in-space flying duties, they have a second job, basically. They, they and yours was this. Yeah. We have what we call collateral duties. Right. <laughs> it's a nice when word. we are not in yeah. full-time training for a mission right. or in space. Or in space, And exactly. that was the collateral duty oh, at that time. Uh, for example, more recently, I was... Uh, uh, senior advisor astronaut of the ATV. ATV, yeah. ATV was a resupply ship Autonomous to ISS transfer vehicle. made by Europe. Yeah. And, you know, when uh, after the Columbia accident, my potential fourth flight to space on the space shuttle for another mission to the Hubble Space Telescope was cancelled because yeah. only the missions to ISS were maintained. Yeah. And uh, I told uh, ISA, you know, the chairman, CEO of Novespace is retiring. <laughs> and uh, I know perfectly what they are doing yeah. because this is my baby that yeah. I gave them when I went to NASA for yeah. 10 years. And uh, I would be interested to take that position. Mm -hmm. It would take me only half of the time because I know it completely. Yeah. And I would still be available as an astronaut for my other half-time collateral duty, uh, supporting the ISS program mm -hmm. and uh, developing new spacesuit and new hardware. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would cost less because... Novespace will pay back ISA half of my gross salary. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I've been chairman of Novespace now for uh, mm -hmm. uh, 13 years. And when I arrived, my goal was to open the flight to the general public. Yeah. Not to make more money. We don't make any money with this because yeah. all the benefits, about one third of the price, is returned back to the scientific flights. Yeah. But in order to uh, make our activity better known yeah. because 
you you don't have better ambassadors than people who did it than <laughs> yes people who did it yeah. non-professional yeah. who go, who go back to their family friends neighbors uh, colleagues in their own field of activity yeah. and describe what they do right uh, in addition those flights anyway we have to do them to maintain the skill of the pilots why why don't so that's basically pilot training flights why don't they do that in scientific missions so, so what no. is different in the public missions when you say we need those to train the pilots? For scientific missions, we want to provide the highest quality of microgravity. Mm -hmm. We need ah. pilots that are trained at the highest I level mm -hmm. because the hardware in the scientific mission is attached on the structure of the plane, on the floor. So ah, they are subject to the exact weightlessness okay. of the structure. Right. When we fly the public, right. they float. doesn't matter. So exactly. They, yeah. they, they, as long as you float, you are in perfect zero-g. That's a very good point. Whether the plane is, yeah. a, is going a minor, a plus minus 500 of a G, yeah, you don't yeah. feel it. Yes. And actually, for scientific flight, we have tried in the early days on the Caravel and the Airbus 300, free-floating scientific flight mm -hmm. where one payload is privileged among others. Mm -hmm. One payload is free-floating in the cabin yeah. and a camera shows the pilot oh. the position, wow. the video, yeah. and the pilots maintain right. the plane around. That's cool. But when the pilot maintains the plane around, he can go by high G, positive, negative, as far as it doesn't touch the payload the payload is in perfect zero-g. Yep. Like, uh, it's, it's close to one thousandth of a G, the type yeah. of quality. Probably only air is a little bit influencing. Maybe, the air, the yeah. initial condition, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the fact that it rotates a bit. And yeah, even yeah, yeah. You, as soon as you rotate, you have some G level on, yeah. on, the, on, on the perimeter. Of yeah. But if you have at the same time payload attached to the floor, they feel they, they are submitted right. to a poor quality because the pilot doesn't care about right. the G level of the plane. Yep. He cares about the position, he relative might, position. He might do relatively hurried corrections. Yes. Which, yeah, so you have to choose for one payload a loop based on relative position yeah. or a loop based on return of the G level of the whole plane. Yeah. And the second one is the best for all. For all of them. So, and we need qualified pilot with a high skill. And the skill requires training because it's a double uh, pain, as we say, for the pilot. Because to correct a given error, when you are in low altitude, you are fast in high-density air. Right. A small correction on the elevator, on the, on the pitch uh, controls, has a, an efficient effect. Yeah. When you are on top of the parabola, you are slow in rare air. Yeah. So two reasons adding to each other to make the air control not as efficient. So yeah. you have to do an auto-adaptative uh, adaptation <laughs> of yeah. your pilot gain right. as you fly yeah. into the parabola. Yeah. And just so people understand, this is not a fly-by-wire aircraft. There's no computer that maintains the parabola. It's exactly. all manually flown. It's, uh, it's classic, yeah. classic yeah. controls. Yeah. So just to briefly return to your thesis, this software you came up with that figures out the angles and the speeds and stuff. This was basically a numerical simulation, right? There is, or is there a, a closed analytical solution for this problem for a given aircraft? Probably not, because yeah, it's in about fact, drag and. In fact, uh, yes, it's. Uh, it was not um, an equation right. solving an optimization. Yeah, I predicted based on the the graph of the aircraft performance. Mm -hmm. um, which point I should test because mm -hmm. the G level during the pull-up 
if you take one that is too high compared to what we call the maneuver margin, the maneuver mm -hmm. margin and the limit margins are two G levels for a given aircraft. Yep. The maneuver limit is the highest G that the aerodynamics of the plane can provide. Right. But you cannot sustain it. Mm -hmm. The maneuver margin is the highest G you can maintain continuously thanks to the power of G engines mm -hmm. that counterbalance the drag, which is higher in hyper -G. Yes. And the higher a, a plane, a jet plane flies, the lower is the maneuver margin. So if you yeah. pull up 1.8 G at 30,000 feet, maybe your initial velocity, a real one, is higher yeah. because, you know, the the indicated velocity in the plane is not the actual right. air. No, no, air no, you no. know, it's, it's the higher speed. you are, the faster you are in real in yeah. reality. Yeah. But you degrade the total energy very fast yeah. during the pull-up yeah. because the idea of putting high G at pull-up is to quickly you know, convert your velocity into vertical velocity yep. uh, in order to not lose too much time to exchange altitude and velocity. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. if you do it at the G level that is too high, yep. you degrade anyway the energy. Yep. For example, for the Caravel, the ideal initial velocity and altitude were 25,000 feet mm -hmm. because it was it had very powerful engine for mm -hmm. an empty aircraft because you know when we fly G it's empty. almost empty yeah. we have few payloads yeah. but nothing underneath in the cargo bay yeah. and uh, you know far less in the cabin yeah. but for the Airbus 20,000 is the altitude from which by putting 1.8 G mm -hmm. you only exchange altitude and velocity you degrade a little bit at the end of the pull up but that's that's okay mm -hmm. interesting Cool. Um, how, how did the, the the mission you fly from the perspective of the scientists? How did that change between the Caravelle and the three hundred and the three ten? Main difference is the size of the cabin, right? Yeah, and also what the classic air controls permit, because when you pull, when when you push during the ballistic phase, in order to have a small effort, in order to increase precision, mm -hmm. we trim. The yep. aircraft pitch down. Yeah. That means during the pull-up, it's hard. It's oh, hard. so it's already trimmed down during pull-up yes. as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. When they pull mm -hmm. up, mm -hmm. they pull up already against a pitch down trim. Right. But basically, the principle is the same. The initial conditions are not exactly the same. The initial altitude or yep. initial velocity or pitch-up angle for injection. But the main difference is the size. Yeah. And in the case of the Airbus 310, we have the same size of the cabin offered to scientists as the Airbus 300. Mm -hmm. You know, 310 is shorter than shorter, 300. Right, yeah. But we compacted the seat area in the, in the aft and we have the same 100 square meter for the cabin. But the controls, maybe because also the plane is shorter on the 310, all pilots say allows a more comfortable uh -huh precision mm -hmm. piloting. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, our pilots suffer less or work <laughs> less harder, yeah. you know, uh, to maintain a high-quality G-level on the 310 than on the 300. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this one was known for a super critical uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, it was the first profile, one, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. And the only one, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we, we have now uh, pilots that are quite well-trained and they... We have sometimes good power. Once I was a test subject, you know, I fly scientific flight only when I am, I am asked to be a test subject yeah. 
for an experiment. You already did, what, what was it, 2000 something parabolas? Uh, as 2200 before, before my first ride. Right, exactly, yeah. I'm so around 4000 now. <laughs> Yeah. But once for a German experiment, I w they, they needed somebody who can float without touching the walls mm -hmm. for the maximum duration. Mm -hmm. And because I was very used to weightlessness, I knew when to release myself mm -hmm. from a handrail, for example. Yeah. When I was feeling the pilot was in the phase where the micro, the, the weightlessness was going to be quite steady and stable for a long time. And I reached like 12 seconds, mm -hmm. co continuous 12 seconds without, without touching the walls. This experiment was to look at the pulse of the blood in your body. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember, um, Ulf Merbold mm -hmm. at the interview when I was going through the ESA astral section. He asked me this question. You know, in space, sometimes we see somebody, uh, you know, floating in the middle of the cabin and we see his body moving like every second. Mm -hmm. Where does it come from? Mm -hmm. It took me a while to think. I mean, a few uh, tens, 30 seconds. It's the bloodstream in your body because the blood flows in one direction more by pulse. Yeah, uh Although it's continuous flow in the return, yeah, yeah, that makes wow. kinetic momentum yeah. stays zero. So you see the body of a person, you know, pulsing forward, you know, at the frequency of the heart rate. Yeah. And they wanted to measure this during this uh, German experiment. Okay. So I was, I was covered with accelerometers along mm -hmm. my body to feel that pulse energy uh, generated by the cardiovascular system. Interesting. Cool. <laughs> so um to finish up um people can go to the website of air0g.com and fly yes we have the advertisement section yes we have <laughs> now uh, we created the brand air0g just a brand right which we gave the name of the aircraft also uh, yeah. because it's a nice like air france like you know air uh, yeah. air caraibs or now air air0g yeah. you go to air0g.com You have like uh, five languages, you know, right, French, yeah. uh, English, German, Italian, uh, Spanish. Uh, you go to book a flight. It shows you all the dates. And again, it's only a few flights. It's only like five, five six per flights year, right? per year. Yeah. And uh, it tells you where it's already full. So you can only subscribe right. on the waiting list and where you still have uh, a yeah. free seat. If you are a member of the Eurozone, you have to pay the added value tax. So in France, for example, it's 6,000. Yeah. But if you're Swiss, you pay only 5,000. <laughs> okay. Because that's uh, <laughs> yeah. the price uh, without tax. Right, okay. And you have to know that one third of that price serve to pay for more experiment on board or to reduce the price we build the space agency yeah. for scientific flight. Yeah. Yeah. It contributes to the pilot training. Mm -hmm. Right. We compensate the carbon emission for all flights, mm -hmm. uh, even the transfer flight uh, through a program that is well known that contributes to uh, yeah. uh, in Africa to a, a special project uh, for sustainable uh, activity. And uh, we like it very much because everybody flying Air Zero G flight come out of the plane yeah. with a smile. smile. And they become the best ambassador yeah, for yeah, this yeah. activity. Yeah, yeah. They tell us usually, you, you know, we never had any passenger coming back saying, 
oh, it was too expensive for what it was. They all say, I'm very happy that I, you know, uh, comment dit, économisé. I, uh, I made economies. You saved up the money. I, I saved money for yeah. years because yeah. I wanted to do this. Yes. I'm very happy because it was magic. Yeah. I'm happy because I know I contributed to serve uh, science exploration in yeah. space. Yeah. And uh, I will have very nice stories to tell my right. friends. Yes, yeah. And your other customers just for completeness is um, science flights like the one you listeners will hear a lot of about from DLR but the other part then is astronaut training which ESA or CNES Actually, buys. Actually, 95% of our customer, our, our yeah. you know, are the space agency for scientific mission. Astronaut training is very, very okay. little. Okay, okay. Astronaut okay. fly one or twice okay. to okay. know what it is And sometimes they come back, not for training, to be test subject right. for experiments. Yeah. And among the private flights, sometimes we have private company booking the whole flight mm -hmm. for movies like Gravity with right. Tom Cruise. I mm -hmm. flew four times with Tom Cruise. <laughs> okay. or, or for advertisement like… Yeah. Uh, Lego did something recently, right? I like Lego yeah. or like Champagne Moom okay. to promote a bottle that, can, that works in weightlessness to serve champagne. Okay. Well. <laughs> Or sometimes uh, for winner of competition, ah, right, yeah. like uh, Big City Beats, mm -hmm. a private company in Germany, mm -hmm. organizing huge concert in the world, mm -hmm. including a huge one every year in June in Frankfurt, mm -hmm. 80,000 people. Mm -hmm. And they came to us saying, we would like to convert your aircraft as a nightclub in weightlessness. <laughs> What? <laughs> we did it. We did it. I can show you if you want. It's amazing. <laughs> Because you, you see it, you don't believe it. So just to tell you that we have very different type of customers, mm -hmm. individuals, companies, but it's only 5% of our activity. Yeah. Our plan is essentially a research laboratory. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I like to say that those private flights are uh, open days. Yeah. Except yeah. that there Still. is no hardware to see. Right. You are your own hardware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are very happy that uh, finally, eventually, the German Air Force agreed to sell. It's the old Adenauer, right? The Conrad yeah. Adenauer, yes. the, uh, one of their yeah. S310, which used to transport the Chancellor. These days, all those Flugbereitschafts airplanes seem to have technical issues every other day. Literally, they break all the time. It's in the news all the time. Yeah. I guess you got lucky with this one. <laughs> It's in excellent shape. Yeah. I can tell you. We visited many, uh, evaluated many mm -hmm. Airbus 310 mm -hmm. from other air forces, from private, from uh, airline companies. Yeah. This one st stood out by far mm -hmm. as the best. Mm -hmm. The best due to the history of the maintenance, mm -hmm. due to a low number of cycles. Right. And the status, it was in perfect shape. Yeah. Uh, we have no issue at all. Mm -hmm. Cool. I touch wood because you you take off tomorrow. <laughs> no, Thursday. <laughs> ah, Thursday. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thank very you. cool. So I am uh, Eric Delsal. I am an experimental test pilot. And uh, my main activity is to be uh, head of uh, flight test department of uh, ATR, the manufacturer of uh, turboprops uh, mm -hmm. for uh, Airbus and Leonardo. The 400. Uh, no, not the 400, the ATR-42 and ah, okay. the ATR-72. Okay, civilian. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I have also side activities, and the main one is uh, being a 
chief pilot for Novespas, and I'm in charge of organizing uh, the activity of uh, this aircraft, training the pilots, mm -hmm. and uh, organizing the staffing the, the the for the pilots for each company. Mm -hmm. All right. So mm -hmm. and becoming a test pilot, did you do that at the military, or did you do yes. that in the civil? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I did that. Uh, in uh, year 1990, mm -hmm. as a military test pilot, and then after uh, three years, I come to the civilian uh, yeah. civilian company. Yeah, it was EADS, uh, that was the Airbus, and uh, still yeah. in the Airbus group now. Okay, cool. Mm. So let's talk about this aircraft here. It's an yep. A310. Exactly. Yeah, which people might know was the. I think second wide body that aircraft uh, that Airbus designed, right? The yeah, yes, was it was earlier. the second generation. The first one being the A three hundred B. Yeah, and uh, what is interesting to know that before this aircraft, we are operating the eight, the prototype A three hundred B number zero three mm -hmm. uh, for us um, some years, and it's now in uh, Köln, Köln Airport, yep. that you can uh, you can visit this aircraft and. Yep. And for uh, four or five years, we are operating the, this aircraft, mm -hmm. the A310. The, the A300B have an, uh, an old uh, electromechanical instrument, yeah. um, and with the station here for the flight engineer. Yep. Right. And mm -hmm. thanks to the uh, new technology, uh, the system are now displayed on uh, four uh, six LCDs. So they have been changed. Or has this always been in the 310, the display? Uh, no, no. It, 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 yes. Okay, the, right. This aircraft is mainly standard. Okay. Hmm? We, we just add some uh, yeah, special instrument where the we have -meter. all the parameters yeah. that we need, and especially the G-meter. Yeah. But it's all standard. Okay. No modification on the systems. Mm -hmm. All the system can sustain zero G uh, mm -hmm. period for... Engine is maximum with one minute. Mm -hmm. uh, one minute, we, we cannot do uh, yeah, yeah. zero G or the one we, we cross the aircraft. So, so the engines will survive, but yeah. the rest won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's really not a limitation. Yeah. Uh, so as the aircraft is all standard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this one does not have a fly-by-wire system and in contrast to the newer ones. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think you could do the zero-G flying with the newer ones? Would you have to go into basic law or... We, we tried uh -huh. with the A380. Right. <laughs> uh, and of course, we have to completely change yeah, the, yeah. the normal law because all this law are designed to avoid such uh, such attitudes. Yeah. So you can do what you want with the stick. Yeah, the, the, uh, the computer will not allow you. Yeah, so yeah. we have to change the, the, the law. But it may be the future uh -huh. for this kind of mission because the architecture of the law is based on the loop around the 1G. One, one right, exactly. Yes. If you if just change that to zero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a very that, good, that yeah, would that's be the idea. Huh. If you uh, uh -huh. if you use the stick, no, not the autopilot, but the stick. If you yeah. uh, lose the yeah. uh, relax the stick, yeah. the aircraft will keep one G. So yes. you can imagine that you change the target yeah. when you push. You, you put the aircraft on the yeah. uh, on, on the injection point, yeah. 50 degrees angle of pitch. Yeah. You switch. Just put the button. Yeah. You switch to zero G and let the flyby wire make the manual. <laughs> it could be an idea. So there are some work to do yeah. before reaching that, but the principle 
Um, it's a very interesting yeah. from a software engineering perspective, yeah, right? Exactly. So whether it was designed really to not assume somewhere else that it's 1G. Like it's really this one parameter. And if you yeah. change it to zero, everything else will work. Yeah. It's a very it will not question. be easy, yeah. but the the architecture of the law yeah, should. can be reused. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have to get rid of all the protection yeah. in speed, uh, load yeah. factor, right. angle of pitch, etc. I haven't thought about that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of modifications, you already said it's basically a standard aircraft, but yeah. you do have this special indicator. Yes. So what will that show in... Uh, we are the, the, so the main parameters uh, that we put there is uh, obviously the G, uh, yeah. G factor, the vertical uh, G. Mm -hmm. And we have two scales for that because in normal flight, we, we fly the aircraft between uh, minus well, 0 0.5 and basically 1. Mm -hmm. And we can go up to 2.5. So that is a scale on, uh, well, mm, 10, 10 centimeters. Yeah. And of course, it's not enough to have the accuracy to fly the zero G. And then, on beside, we have an expanded scale, mm -hmm. which uh, the factor is around ten. And in the same ten centimeter, right. you are from uh, it's minus zero point zero one and plus zero point zero one. So it's very. Mm -hmm. Uh, very fluctuating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, and we have to stay between uh, uh, three centimeters between the mm -hmm. zero and between minus zero point zero five and plus zero point zero five. Yeah, and so when you fly, we'll talk about how exactly you fly the parabola. Yeah. But basically, you have your eyes fixed to this indicator yeah. and oh, yes. move the stick to well, keep it very like concentrated there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then the, the, we have some other instruments to, to help. We have the angle of attack. Mm -hmm. ah, yeah. And to monitor the, the flights, we have the time uh, mm -hmm. running there and the uh, countdown uh, mm -hmm. chronometers to make the, uh, make the announcement to yeah. the cabin and to have the, the schedule, which yeah. is expected, uh, briefed and uh, prepared yeah. mm -hmm. and to, to follow it. Yeah. There's also a bunch of special data recorders uh, behind the cockpit. Yes, right? yeah. exactly. Yeah. We record track. all the data because yeah. uh, it's a contract that we, we must give them back to, to, yeah. the, to the scientists and for us to follow our performance and yeah. try to improve uh, mm -hmm. as much as possible each uh, time. Yeah. When you started doing the zero-G flights with this or with the older Airbus, did you talk to Airbus in any way, you know, asking them, can we use the aircraft this sure. way? Do you have any thoughts? Oh, yes. We, we, yeah. we did most than just talking. Uh, yeah. We older uh, an analyze mm -hmm. of all the systems mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. each system uh, was there. Uh, there was a study of how the zero-G will be sustained and the safe, there were uh, safety analysis for mm -hmm. each system. We also made the human factor analysis. Oh, yeah. uh, no, no, it, it was a very long and uh, serious analysis. Mm -hmm. And I guess one result was that you fly Airbus. with four pilots instead of three. Uh, we, we we fly at three, but for for yeah. to make a flight of thirty parabolas, yeah. it's better to be four to so that we can uh, we can relax yeah. sometimes. And uh, also, uh, it's better to have uh, redundancy mm -hmm. in, in the morning if one pilot is, don't right. feel very well. We can fly with three. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why we're for... Uh,
Okay, so let's talk about the parabola. So the, yeah. the basic idea is to cancel, or I should say compensate, um, gravity by flying basically a part of a uh, Earth orbit, right? A little bit, little yeah. small part of an Earth orbit. Uh, exactly, and that's what Jean-François was exactly. uh, explaining. I found this uh, nice formulation. So, so you, we know exactly what trajectory would have an object yeah. thrown away and just falling down. Yeah. In the vacuum. So, uh, if I made uh, the, the picture, uh, it, it's like uh, flying the aircraft. We climb to 15, uh, 50 degrees angle of pitch. Mm -hmm. And then we can imagine that we throw everybody, everything out of the aircraft and let them yeah. just falling down. Right. Now, yeah. make your job. Yeah. But <laughs> there is the resistance <laughs> of the air. Yeah. So, they stay on board, of course. Yeah. yeah. And with the aircraft, we try to keep them in an envelope, protecting against the resistance of, of the, the air. air. Yeah. So this means that for us, we have to fly this trajectory and with very high accuracy because the height of the cabin is 2.5 meters. Mm -hmm. And if we want to do the job properly, we must keep the trajectory inside 2 meters. Yep. Yep. So it's not possible to do that. It's not physically possible yeah. to have zero G exactly yeah. flying in the air with such an aircraft with uh, the speed decreasing from the maximum speed to the minimum speed yeah. with the uh, angle of pitch coming from uh, 50 degrees yeah. to minus 45 yeah. with everything changing. So, yeah. of course, like all physical experiments, we must have tolerances. Yeah, and now what we uh, succeed now with the training and experience we have is to stay in the 500s of G minus yeah. and plus, and we generally uh, succeed to be 95% of the time in uh, 200s of a G, mm -hmm. which That's is pretty cool. very, uh, yeah. very, very yeah. little tolerance. Yeah. One thing that people might not really think of, and which I also didn't think of initially, is that um, you can't just let go of everything because in order to have the zero air drag experience you ha the engines have to produce some power sure only yeah. so much as to compensate for i mean you don't want to accelerate but you want to compensate no. the drag and as exactly. you get slower of course the drag becomes less so you need less power so so i guess you definitely have to work on the engines and on yeah. the elevator And then I guess you want to make sure the aircraft remains uh, horizontal, so you want to correct that. But mainly, I guess, actively, you control the elevator and the, of course, yeah. and the engines. Yeah, yeah, and that's why we are three pilots. And what is special special procedure on this on this aircraft is that we fly the aircraft three pilots at a time. Mm -hmm. Three pilots are acting on the controls. Mm -hmm. And that is something we try to avoid as much as possible on uh, any other <laughs> yes. operation. Yeah. Usually on, people on, fight yeah. for who has the stick. Yeah. Let me fly it. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> There are accidents. Yes. Two pilots yes. making something different. Yes. Um, on multi-crew aircraft, uh, we know that generally speaking, there are two pilots on, uh, in a cockpit. Yeah. And they are sharing the three main activities of flying an aircraft, which is flying, acting on the controls, navigating, where, where you want to go, and monitoring the systems, yeah. and speaking to yeah. the ground control. Yeah. And, but there is only 
one pilot yeah. flying. I mean, acting on the controller yes. at the same time. It's called the pilot flying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on this aircraft, uh, we are three pilots, and each pilot is acting on one axis. Mm -hmm. So there is one pilot acting on the vertical axis, which is uh, the, the main activity yep. to make the zero, and we use such a special device uh -huh. that we uh -huh. that we added on the stick, uh -huh. and with this uh, stick, I can only make the pitch. So I it's basically a yoke that has no connection to the aileron. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. I, I can I cannot roll left yeah. or right. I yeah. just can push yeah. or pull. Yeah, and I can make the pitch up and down. Yeah. The other pilot, you. Yes. In that, <laughs> that case, <laughs> will use a very high technology <laughs> equipment. <laughs> 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 that we put there these are rubber straps yes because if you put your hands on the stick yes. the other pilot will feel it yeah. and it will be boring yeah, yeah. Right. and you will induce some discrepancy yeah. in, in the G so we use that <laughs> so I can make the roll left yeah. or yeah. right yeah. but leaving this action up and down without disturbing the, the action yeah. up and down wow And this one has, uh, I should say, uh, lighter workload. Mm -hmm. And this one is uh, organizing the maneuver, speaking to oh, the, yeah. uh, making the announcement, yep. giving the orders yep. at the same time to his colleague and to the guys in the cabins. Yep. And mm -hmm. now when everybody is up in the cabin, You have no uh, no rigging on the seats or something like that. So as soon as you have a very light mm -hmm. acceleration uh, to the front or to the back and the longitudinal axis, you will recover all the people in the cockpit or in the afterlights. This is not your objective. So that's why yeah. the third guy is sitting there yeah. acting on the power lever, as you said, in order to keep the zero on mm -hmm. the longitudinal axis. So when you fly the parabola, you you start, I guess, you you run at high speed, 0.8 something mark, I guess. Yeah, maximum speed. Yeah, which is at 240 knots uh, indicated, mm -hmm, indicated speed. Yeah. yeah, so that's mark 0.8. Whatever, yes, three, four, uh, yes, uh, something like wait, that. Don't look at yeah, something yeah, like that yeah. exactly. And then uh, you start, I guess, by pulling. Yeah, we we push, put full power. Yeah. To be in a full acceleration at that time, yeah. So the pilot must not wait at that time. That's why the colleague look at the acceleration of the speed and tell it with five knots uh, anticipation, mm -hmm. pull up. Mm -hmm. Then this guy well, with, with yeah, this yeah, stick, with the special yeah. device, well, yeah. well, right. and look at the uh, G meter here yeah. and put slowly. Yeah. For the comfort, for comfort of passenger, yeah. 1.8. Yeah. Then uh, the aircraft is climbing, the speed is decreasing, yes. so you enter the buffet zone mm -hmm. and because the angle of attack is increasing. Yeah. And, and then you, you come to the buffeting. Mm -hmm. So you have to relax yes. the G. And we put uh, on the G, uh, that's why we have the angle of attack mm -hmm. displayed here. Yeah. And and when uh, also we can uh, we put the special uh, computation on the G meter mm -hmm. to see the buffeting zone uh, oh, yeah. arriving, mm -hmm. so that this pilot can relax the G, 
And uh, at the beginning of when the aircraft is rather EV, it comes from 1.8 to 1.5 at the injection. Mm-hmm. And then when we reach 50 degrees angle of pitch, the, 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 the guys say the injection. Yep. And then we push on the stick. Until you have zero. Until we, we have zero, yes. Mm-hmm. So first we approach zero with a normal scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes to decrease on yep. the expanded scale. And then we use it to be uh, to mm-hmm. have uh, accurate zero. And at that point, you have a little negative angle of attack, as Jean-Francois yesterday yes. said. The, z- the zero lift angle of attack is minus two. Must be two. negative, yeah. Yes. Right. And then, so at this point, you're focused on the G-meter flying the zero-G curve. And yes. At this point, you're getting slower. Oh, yes. I yeah. think to 130 knots, if I remember right, yeah, from yesterday. No, no, no. The indicated airspeed is between 120 and 140. Okay. Well, that's 130 in the Which, middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I said, said 130. Ah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you are right. So, okay. Uh, um, which is much uh, slower than the stall speed. Exactly, without flaps. And even uh, more way with clean configuration. Yes. Yeah. But it works because you're unloaded and slightly negative angle yeah, of attack. Yeah, there is no angle of attack, so yeah. no lift. Yes. So there is no, no stall. No stall. Yeah. Yeah. Just falling down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit crazy if you think about it with this kind of big aircraft, yes. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, yeah. What's the landing speed for this aircraft with the usual? Today, fuel? with full flaps, yeah. we landed at 130 knots. Okay, so it's, yeah, but yeah. with full flaps. And so yeah. clean configuration. Yeah, yeah. The minimum speed is probably yes, 170. One, one, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I should say 180, but. Yeah, something like that. Okay. And then you yeah, right. just you, you keep pushing with your eyes focused on the zero yes. until the pitch tells you yes. minus 45. Exactly. Minus 45. Or we have also a safety gate with the speed mm-hmm. because uh, depending of, uh, of the conditions and uh, how we did the parabola, sometimes uh, there mm-hmm. is a l- little um, discrepancy yeah. and we have to look at the speed because it's increasing very quickly. Absolutely. And you want to make and sure you don't overspeed when you pull out. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. We have uh, 20, 20 knots of margin mm-hmm. when we, we recover, mm-hmm. but uh, it's increasing very rapidly. Yes. So we, we must not stay too long. Yeah. Right. Mm. And then you pull out again with 1.8 Gs, I guess. So uh, at the beginning, the speed is not enough. To ah, flight right. 1.8 again mm-hmm. we have uh, we must avoid the the buffeting, buffeting yeah. so we increase progressively the load factor mm-hmm. uh, so from uh, 1.5 1.6 1.7 and the maximum is uh, 1.8 the yeah. nominal yeah in and we have also a safety gate when uh, coming back to 30 degrees angle of pitch mm-hmm. we monitor the speed minus 30 uh, minus 30 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. if it's above 270 we increase the load factor up to two, uh-huh. 2.2 if necessary, but yeah. generally two is, is Because enough. you have more reserves in G than in speed. Exactly. So it's better to yeah. have more Gs than to overspeed the Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 What, what trim setting do you use for? We, we put uh, zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a compromise between the, the effort we keep uh, on the stick during the parabola. Uh, also, the effort on, on the on, on the trim screw. All right. Because mm-hmm. d- during the the level uh, level phases, uh, as we are we are at the high speed, mm-hmm. and we must push to counteract 
the the we are not trimmed at the right, right. speed. Right. So you so don't retrim for the horizontal part. No. Okay. Yeah. No. Otherwise, it's too much. Yeah. When we reach uh, right, we 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 are flying uh, between the maximum speed and one twenty knots. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we yeah. have to uh, have a good compromise, and zero is good compromise. And we also consider for safety that something, a tool, uh, forgotten in uh, many part of the aircraft could come and jam the the pitch. Oh, mm -hmm. right. We we consider the, this failure. So and then you and, want and to, then to fly with trim. And uh, then, yeah. yeah, and then yeah. then the only resource we have is yeah. to use the trimmable horizontal stabilizer, right. yeah. which is quite efficient. Yeah, and we put it full forward. Yeah, and then we recover the aircraft, and when we have speed, we put that okay. slowly up. Do you train that? Yes, we, we train that to, to uh, every six months in the simulator. Ah, in the simulator, okay. And uh, we, we also go uh, make the training up to the landing, mm -hmm. uh, the aircraft with the jam, elevator jam. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's an interesting uh, exercise to, uh, yeah. to do, yeah. So it must be a quite physical activity, this kind of flying, because there is, oh, yes. I mean, you work yeah. quite a bit against the trim and the forces, I guess. Yeah, we, we have always the forces. The, the flying is all manual, yeah. and we have to be very concentrated. It's not a long, uh, long straight ahead, uh, yeah. Yeah, straight, yeah. straight flight, always yeah. changing and uh, near the limits. So yeah. uh, we have to be uh, concentrated. And uh, physically also, it's a uh, succession of 0G, 1.80. Right. Uh, and for the body, we, we can feel the, the, the fatigue at the end of the flight. And at the end of the week, mm -hmm. when we make the three flights and, uh, yeah. every day. Yeah. It's... Uh, You're right. It's physically uh, limiting. Yeah. And you and you you close the windows a little bit when you do the parabola, right? Yes. It has a kind of shade. Yeah, here yeah. On the side windows. We we, we put uh, some uh, cap on the head. Yeah. Because yeah, ah, we, yeah. we put all uh, windows there, and of course we, we keep the windshield clear. Yeah. But in case we have the we rise to the sun, we we just ah. uh, keep the head down. Yeah. And with the cap, just yeah, uh, align with the wind chill. When not boring, and uh, you you are pilot yeah. by yourself. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so sometimes when you turn with the with the clouds with the sun, you may have some uh, disturbing uh, shadow. Yeah, and it's uh, even more uh, critical when, when you rise. From zero to fifty degrees and you have sometimes some ray of uh, the, the shadow coming down and uh, making some. Uh, you can lose your where you are confidence. Where yes, yeah, yeah. and that's why we we put uh, windows mm -hmm. and to uh, avoid any reflect uh, yeah. on the on the instrument. Yeah. What what you may be interested in? You, you know this kind of aircraft. You have hydraulical uh, mm -hmm. controls. So you have no effort. Yeah. So the design include some artificial uh, fill yeah. uh, on, on the on the channel. Yeah. But if we keep them, we we cannot make our maneuver. Aha. So we also fly while <laughs> by, uh, switching off. The pitch fill. Ah, yeah. Okay. At least there is a switch. You didn't have to hack the airplane. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And and then we must be very careful with the with the controls because you could over -control. because you yes right. yeah interesting yeah 
in some sense, it's really uh, astonishing that IASA and their uh, French counterparts allow this. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's dangerous, yeah, but it's yes it's not and no because when we make demonstration of uh, the, the the safety is is kept thanks to uh, sure. a lot of uh, protection, reflection, analysis, training. training yeah, then you 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 reach uh, well. A reasonable uh, level of safety. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, I and mean, there uh, has never been an accident with any of no. these zero G aircraft. No, no, so. no, never. Yeah. No. <gasps> yeah. So the areas in which you fly, they are in the Atlantic and the Mediterranean, depending on weather, right? Mostly. Yeah. We we use uh, there is special organization in France. <coughs> uh, in every country, generally you find the general air traffic. Yeah. And. Uh, in some countries, but general as well in Europe, the military air traffic. Mm -hmm. yeah, each have their own controllers, right. sometimes with a dedicated area for military. We have the same in France. And we also a third category of flights for uh, developments. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, used by Airbus, uh, Dassault, Flight Test Center, and uh, any aircraft wants to make a test flight mm -hmm. with a dedicated controller. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We may have some restricted area for very specific flights when with engine shutdown or uh, yeah. such uh, such things. But generally speaking, we fly in between the general air traffic and military air traffic just by coordination between our controller and the, the his colleagues from mm -hmm. general air traffic and military air traffic. Mm -hmm. And there are uh, preferred area where there is not too much uh, traffic, which is uh, south of Brittany or yep. over the Atlantic, because the aircraft crossing Atlantic are uh, above, and there is nobody below. Mm -hmm. So you fly between 20,000 20, and 30,000, okay, flights yeah. about 200 yeah. and 300. Yeah. And then they are uh, over, uh, over oceanic traffic yeah. are above. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's very comfortable mm -hmm. to to fly in this area. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there's not good weather uh, <coughs> on the Atlantic and we go to the Mediterranean Sea, a little uh, more crowded mm -hmm. area, but we can still fly and we have to change heading sometimes mm -hmm. between the parabolas. Yeah. So it's are not you so easy but we can manage, yeah. Are you in in, in continuous communication with ATC or do you yes. do they assign no. you an area and then you can just do it for half an hour or an hour? No, no, no. We are in, in continuous okay. uh, communication and they look around with there mm -hmm. and before each parabola. Ah, yeah. One minute before each parabola we ask for clearance. Okay, for each parabola. Yeah, yeah. Okay, say, okay you can go. Oh. Generally speaking, they know that we make series of five. Yeah. And they try to give us uh, heading where we will uh, be able to yeah. make, make the five to, to respect the schedule given to the scientists. So who def so this schedule of five-minute break, five-minute break, eight-minute break, five-eight-five, I think, yeah. is, the, is the breaks. Um, yeah. Is that driven by science or is that driven by yeah. you having to switch uh, pilots and no, no. also talking to ATC? No, no, we, we, we adapt. Okay. Uh, it's it's good schedule for uh, scientists. Yeah. Sometimes we have special experiments that uh, request uh, something different. Right. 
And uh, so now it's uh, no espace uh, to this. Okay, no, we, we cannot do that because your colleagues will wait for 30 minutes doing yeah. nothing. We cannot do. Uh, yeah. well. so, uh, and this is the, um, the standard schedule is a good compromise. Yeah. Sometimes uh, you were at the debriefing. I was. Yeah, they one, requested. One guy said, ah, it's eight minutes, a little, maybe a little short. Yeah. We will be happy with 10 minutes uh, yeah. tomorrow. I think two minutes we, we can do and sure. everybody will be happy. Yeah. Cool. And uh, but sometimes we have some dedicated flights for very special experiments. Uh, we had some uh, uh, solar antenna for a satellite, which uh, which was taking all the aircraft, yep. and so they they they, they ask us exactly what they want. We would we make one parabola, then we have two chains, and where we are ready, we will tell you. Mm-hmm. And we adapt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no uh, no problem. Cool. Mm. This certainly seems to be an interesting... How long have you been doing this? 22 years? 22 years, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I don't know exactly, but 8,000 parabola. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you still do other flying or is this basically all you oh, do yes. these days? No, okay, no, you still no. Do the we other we well. made uh, around... There are 30 zero-g flights in the year. Okay. 30, 35, it depends. Uh, yeah. So that's 10 weeks, very roughly. Yes, and so it's not enough to have dedicated okay. pilots. Okay. So we all have another main job, mm-hmm. and so it's necessary uh, well to have a normal salary for uh, <laughs> every, yeah, every sure. month, yeah. and uh, and also to keep training on other aircraft, other activity, but yeah. still aeronautical training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and plus flying straight and level boring. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you do still you still do the ATR? Uh, oh yes, yeah, okay. yeah. Is it still being built? I I thought it was. Yes, yeah. Oh, okay, no, sorry. No, we we built uh, seventy this year, seventy four aircraft, okay. seventy seven. Okay, one, yeah. And your colleagues, several, I guess, of them might be military, or are they all civilians? Uh, now? One one is military. Yeah, uh, the flight center in uh, in Kazo Airbase, not mm-hmm. far from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have. Two from the uh, A310 flying in the French Air Force. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have Thomas Pesquet, astronauts, mm-hmm. French astronauts, and uh, two other guys which are uh, like me, former uh, fighter pilots and now test pilots. Mm-hmm. What did you fly as a fighter pilot? Uh, Mirage F1. F1, okay. And then that uh, was my main operational uh, okay. aircraft. And uh, then in flight the center, I flew all the other one, uh, right. Mirage 3, Mirage 5, Jaguar. Uh, it was before Rafale, right? So Rafale. I flew, ah. I flew at the flight center, the, the f- very first Rafale, you remember yeah. the white one? Yeah, 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 This I know. was the yeah. flight test bench yeah. for the engine. Nice. And at that time, uh, one F1 404 uh, engine and the M, Matra oh. M88 yeah. in development. Yeah. And uh, that was, very uh, interesting flights because there is well, there was only one aircraft yeah no uh, no simulator yeah. no yeah. no two seater yeah. so we just uh, read the book and yeah. then like, okay <laughs> try and uh, 10 days you fly okay <laughs> great <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> all right and i'm also flying for sabina oh, yeah. uh, on uh, sabina is a belgian company isn't it mm. Uh, no, it's now uh, for modification and maintenance. Ah, yeah, okay. And I will fly a C-130 on Friday, so it's completely ah, different. there was one landing this morning. I yeah, 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 I will fly on this ah, one. Ah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one last question. Is there a special maintenance program for this one? Or yes. Is it basically yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yes, because uh, you know the aircraft maintenance are based on the hypothesis on the use you will oh, right. make with the aircraft, yeah. the use of the engines, the rating, uh, yeah. uh, and so on. And uh, of course, the uh, normal use is from one point A to one two point B, one hour and uh, thirty minutes yeah, uh, straight. <laughs> yeah, straight sometimes, but weather turbulences, uh, Rafael, yeah. and, and then well, well, you have to make uh, some surveillance. Uh, yeah. But on this aircraft, so for the engines, each parabola is counted like one flight. Wow. So it's very, uh, wow. very expensive maintenance, mm -hmm. especially for engines. Yeah. yeah. And for special uh, area of the airframe, there are some coefficients. Mm -hmm. So one hour is uh, multiplied by three or four. Mm -hmm. For the engine must is something like 10 or 15. Oh, mm -hmm. Because 1.80, 1.8, of course, yeah. is rather demanding and yeah. much more than... Uh, than what was anticipated for this aircraft. Yeah, we we have the choice. Either we put some uh, some gauges on mm -hmm. the uh, specific parts, the measure mast, yeah. uh, the uh, horizontal uh, trim. And, well, I don't know. I don't remember well what specific uh, areas. Yeah, or we made uh, yeah. protective maintenance, yeah. and then we choose that. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, okay, so then I understand why they limit the public flights because if you do too many of them, you don't have enough lifetime on the airframe yeah. to do the science program. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, that cool. is one, uh, one point. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. This was great. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. With you. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> so, I am uh, Hervé Normand. I am a professor of physiology uh, in the University of Caen. I also a doctor in uh, functional testing. And uh, I'm in charge for uh, the survey or for looking after our passenger in board, on board the uh, Airbus. Mm -hmm. So um, this is my first job here, but I am also a scientist. So uh, once a year, I have my own experiment, which is Flying flown in, uh -huh. the, in, the, in the Airbus. So, mm -hmm. What kind of experiments are those? Uh, I'm working right now on the brain blood flow. And the distribution of brain blood flow. Mm -hmm. We think that the the brain is not um, perfused exactly the same way uh, than on Earth. So mm -hmm. this is our main study right now. And that is a kind of study that might be relevant for people who live in zero G, meaning astronauts. Right? Yes, so it's not necessarily something that has consequences for life on Earth, like other experiments have. It's really space-oriented research. Yes, I in fact, it's a new idea that the distribution of flow is not homogeneous. Mm -hmm. So it might be a reason why some astronauts experience um, cardiovascular deconditioning oh, when yeah. they come back from uh, space. Because uh, what we know about this uh, is it's very, uh, there is a large um, heterogeneity between astronauts. Some of them, it's okay. Others have a lot of difficulties to readapt. So it might be related to the brain and brain blood flow, and we are looking at this. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. But uh, I want to talk to you as a, as a doctor Fra yeah. for <laughs> the guy who keeps people uh, happy. So um, so the reason why you are here is, and also in flight, is that some people uh, start to feel queasy or get sick from the zero-G experience. Yes. Uh, I would have 
we, we, were, we were planning to do this after the flight, which yeah. unfortunately was cancelled <laughs> because the windscreen broke. So I have no experience, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> so um, what is the physiological effect that happens that potentially makes some people... So th the main effect we, uh, we see nearly in old flight is motion sickness. Mm -hmm. uh, this is quite similar to the motion sickness you can experience on a boat. It's mm -hmm. nearly the same. And so when you are susceptible to uh, seasickness, you are usually also susceptible to air sickness. Mm -hmm. So the reason is uh, in the vestibular system. You know, this little organ we have in each ear. This little and, hairs. And give you, yes, and give you the, uh, the sense of equilibrium. Mm -hmm. It is not alone because the eyes participate also, but yep. the, the vestibular system is very important because what we know about this is people who have no vestibular system have no motion sickness. At all, whatever uh -huh. the circumstance. So if this is somehow damaged or yeah, kaput, yeah. then... It's very, it's very rare, but some patients have, uh, uh, they have usually has infection, viruses, ah, infections, yeah. and this has been destroying the uh, vestibular system only, mm -hmm. on both hairs, mm -hmm. and they are very free of motion sickness. They have other problems, They course. can't probably walk <laughs> right because they don't know how to balance. Yeah. Uh, they, can't, they can't walk, eye closed. All right. Because, ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Because usually... Uh, The reason why we stand uh, and we don't fall is because we use a lot of senses yep. to make our vertical, uh, to know where is the vertical. So yeah, right. And okay. so um, the vessel system is a little bit complicated. It has two organs, in fact. One detects the acceleration, the circular acceleration. So your axis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or like this. Pitch. Or, or pitch. <laughs> yeah. This is the semicircular canals. Yeah, and the other one in the same area uh, detect only the position of the head. So left, right, left, right, yeah. left, right. Yeah. Uh, or so when you are in a parabolic flight, uh, these two systems give may give different information, mm -hmm. especially during hypergravity. Okay. So because when you bend your head like this, yeah, you have one signal which is a normal bending. It's a, it's a pitch for a the pitch, head, basically. Yeah. And the, uh, when you do it in hypergravity, the one system detects the rotation, yeah. but the other one detects twice the inclination. Uh -huh. So you have one part which detects twice a signal, and the other one only one. Mm -hmm. And this makes uh, the things discordant for the brain, yeah. and it reacts by vomiting. Yeah. So this is why we say to people, yeah. in microgravity you do what you want, But during hypergravity, you don't move your head. Okay. So, okay. so this means that the kind of motion sickness we are talking about here is not the same as the space sickness that astronauts might get in their first few days. Yes. Because there's no hypertrophy after takeoff. Yes. I mean, th they may have exactly the same thing. But in fact, what we know is the people who are susceptible to uh, motion sickness in the plane are not necessarily yeah. sick in, in space yes. and reverse. And reverse. Some of them are um, not very comfortable uh, on the plane, but they have no problem in space. Mm -hmm. There's other explanation for the space uh, motion sickness. Maybe the intracranial pressure is probably augmented a little bit. The pressure in the head? The pressure yeah. in, the, in the brain, Pretty because brain, we have, yeah. uh, when you go to um, microgravity, uh, a part of the blood goes up yeah. to the head. 
That's why astronauts have sometimes a bit of a puffy face. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it is possible that uh, the the intracranial pressure is increased due to this. And this we know that uh, on patients that increase if you increase the intracranial pressure, you you provoke uh, migraine. And so within these 22 seconds of parabolas, that is not the problem. So people don't get space no. sick and don't get headache from... No, 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 okay. no. it's yeah. too short. And, too and short. also, it's, it's, um, you have hypergravity before and after. Yeah. So you right. have the uh. blood goes down, yeah. then up, yeah. then down, and then normal. Yeah. So in, uh, in, the, uh, in the plane, it's really a problem of different sense. Coming yeah. okay. the two the two vestibular the eyes also because your eyes say it doesn't move but in fact yeah. it moves a lot yeah so this is uh, it's quite different mm -hmm. okay and so that's why everybody who flies even the experienced people they get an injection of now see if you get the word together scopolamine scopolamine yeah, yeah. Sco scopol or scopul scopal so second O O okay yeah. all right um, so that's basically a medication against motion sickness. Do you yeah. know how that works? What it yeah, does? Yeah. It decreases the sensitivity of the vestibular organ. Okay. So you have less signal coming to the brain from the vestibular system. Mm -hmm. So the one that um, that reads twice. So, I mean, it's it doesn't suppress the right. vestibular signal. Yeah. It just decreases yeah. it. So. Uh, And depending on your own sensitivity right. to motion sickness, uh, you may need a higher dose. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or you may d not use it. Some, yeah. uh, some for instance, me, uh, I, I take scopolamine, but it's journey for, for, for comfort because I can fly without. Yeah. And, uh, uh, of course, the pilots, they don't have scopolamine. Because they are not uh, allowed to? They're not allowed to because uh, scopolamine may uh, give you a little bit of drowsiness. Yeah. So uh, they don't want and, <laughs> and it's okay for them. But they're, also, they're also tied to their seats. So they're not f really floating around yes, that but much. It, it doesn't make a difference. For the positive you, Gs. Uh, it doesn't make a difference whether you are uh, tight or okay. just sitting. Because anyway, the only problem is the movement of the head. Okay, right, 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 right. But right. they know. I mean, when they are very concentrated on what they are they doing, they look on their G meter anyway. Yeah. So when they <laughs> yeah. when they pilot, they yeah. don't move the head. Right. So the I was told that um, in order to avoid sickness, I mean, one thing is not to move the head during the mm. hypertrophy, but then the other thing is uh, when you, for example, go into the free floating mm. thing cage room area era exactly then you shouldn't be too uh, acrobatic in the beginning because that might also yeah. be a problem but that's not necessarily what you said about the hypergees there's there might be another phenomenon going yeah on. oh it's 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 also vestibular because right. uh, the people with no vestibular they can free float yeah. as, as right. they want yeah i mean as much as you put information in the vestibular system as much as are going to be interpreted yeah so if you give this information very strongly Uh, you have more risk to have a, a discordance between the yeah. information. So yeah. Yeah. we say to people, uh, if you are volunteer for a biomedical experiment, for instance, uh, please don't go to the room. For Usually, right. uh, it's the same we have in this uh, plane. Uh, you have two volunteers, one for the first fifth, Barbara. Yeah. So, so there is one who has nothing to do for fifteen, Barbara, yeah. and we say, please don't move too much. Yeah. We'll yeah. give you a, a chance to go to do the the um, free footing area at the end, but yeah. not before you, yeah. you you go to the yeah. experiment seat. I see. Okay. <laughs> All right. And so with this medication, um, most of the people do not get sick. That's I think yeah. one in ten or well, something. Yeah. Yeah. Statistics. Well, even less than this for uh, average is. Three per per flight, mm -hmm. and uh, now we have it only 
one in the first flight and two in the second. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think more than the scope what I mean is the recommendation not to move the head, yeah. which, is very impor- which is very yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They told me that when I was flying uh, in an aerobatic airplane mm. as well. Mm. So during the high G phase, just don't move your not head. Not move your head. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Even though there's no no zero G afterwards, yeah. but yeah, still, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> well, uh, nice to meet you. My name is Nicola. Uh, I'm the purser during this uh, public flight campaign for the DLR. Um, so I'm the chief of a safety team made of uh, five guys and we are in the aircraft to take care of the passengers. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly funny, I think it's funny that it's called a purser, right? Because in normal airlines, obviously everybody knows that the purser and the cabin crew is responsible for safety and for uh, commercial drinks, yes. Yeah. But here the relationship is a bit different, right? You, there you don't, You might serve drinks at the end, the water bottles, right? Somebody That's an idea. That's an idea. <laughs> But basically, it's mostly safety. It's safety, yeah. It's yeah. completely safety on ground uh, and in flight, and specifically for parabolic yeah. faces. Yeah. And so... Um, But, you know, you will experience that tomorrow. Thursday, are, but yes. Yeah, uh, sorry, Thursday. <laughs> uh, we propose some snacks mm-hmm. and water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, what specifically... Do you do during a flight? Uh, during a flight, we monitor um, every passenger and we we make sure that they are all secure with the straps, uh, foot under straps, or holding a handrail, and making sure that they they recover properly on their feet uh, if they free float. Mm-hmm. So if if people are in the free floating, free flying cage yeah then one of you guys is next to it or inside it and helps not inside because we let them okay. uh, live their life if i can speak <laughs> yeah. this way yeah. in the free floating area because it's dedicated right. for that it doesn't matter if they fall down there no uh, it matters it okay. matters if they fall down on the on the neck or uh, on yeah. the head but we 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 are just next to this area and ready to catch them but mm-hmm. inside we, we are not inside exactly mm-hmm. And and you have an eye for you can see when when you know the parabola coming to an end and people are still up there. Then you can basically expect that you'll have to help them. Recently. You hear it. There are, there are many calls, different calls during the yeah. parabola, the parabolic phase right. um, from the cockpit. And when we hear 30 degree nose down, yeah. that's the moment to recover the people. Okay, if so if they haven't recovered themselves, themselves, then yeah. you'll help. We help them okay. at this moment. Okay. I was told that you also, you and your colleagues, you can see when people start to feel sick, even if they don't say it. You yeah, it's the color of it's. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the color of the face. Okay, it's so obvious. Uh, yeah, it's obvious. Okay. And people also sometimes, every people uh, react differently. Yeah. But uh, sometimes it's they start to feel hot. Mm-hmm. They start to feel hot, so they open the flight suit. Uh, they ask for some cooling in the cabin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's usually that's not a very good sign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe if they stop talking and become a little bit quieter, yeah, if they concentrate on themselves, on themselves they, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. When when I was flying with uh, the F sixteen a few months ago. Uh, the pilot was talking to me quite a lot, and of course, one hand side he was explaining things, but I'm sure he also wanted to hear me talk to hear whether I still feel fine and whether yeah. I become quiet and, and change your mind also maybe not. That so, so you think about something else right. than on yourself, right. and that you might become, or if you focus on your sickness, 
uh, sickness yeah. will come. Yeah, yeah, and 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 people have said that the scientists who focus on their instruments are less likely to become sick than people who are just there for fun, like for example, journalists who don't have an instrument to focus on. Yes, right. Okay, and um, so before takeoff and after landing, you do the usual process stuff. Yes, exactly. Making sure people are making sure people uh, board properly. That the aircraft is ready to welcome passenger. Yeah. So we check every instrument inside and every ah, yeah. every uh, safety uh, devices. Mm -hmm. So the experiments, the instruments, do they have to have? How do you know an instrument is safe? Because you, do you have you learned about the experiments? Yeah, during the week before the experimenter, they present us their ah. own experiment and then we can see if uh, on my side uh, an instrument is safe if no there is no mobile part mm -hmm. that can uh, spread and yeah, that can hurt passenger yeah. so mm -hmm. i check that for instance a computer if the laptop is properly right. fixed to the to the experiment um, things like that yeah Are the experiments turned off during takeoff and landing? Uh, usually, yes. Okay, that's the that's the normal procedure. Mm -hmm. But some there are very few experiments. Um, it's not the case this week, mm -hmm. but it happens sometimes that some experiment need to be heated up mm -hmm. yeah. for a very long period, yeah. or um, they need to be um, in vacuum. But the the instrument to make the vacuum are um, we do that on ground. So we, they might need to keep the pump, mm -hmm. the vacuum system on during this uh, this phase. Mm -hmm. okay. So usually it's not, uh, it's turned off. Um, but we, for exceptional reason, we can turn them on. Yeah. What other requirements are there for the experiments? One thing you said is that there can't be any loose parts flying yes. around. And I'm sure they need to be, they have to be stable to survive a crash, right? Exactly, exactly. That's... So they are settled during the, the week before a campaign. Yep. And uh, we have long rails yep. uh, all along the cabin. And they are usually in normal. It's the same rails than in Where normal. Where the seats are fixed, right? We, exactly. Yeah. So the, the seats uh, are supposed to resist to a crash. Right. It's the same for us. Mm -hmm. The experiment, uh, experiment benches are designed to resist to a crash. And they are fixed to the ground mm -hmm. uh, through these um, tie-down points mm -hmm. all along the cabin. Mm -hmm. So everything is secure. Right. And then, uh, at least for some of the experiments, I'm not sure that whether all have it, but I've seen for some a big red emergency off button. They all have one. That's also a requirement. From the moment they have yeah. an electric electrical uh, yeah. supply, yeah. they have an emergency push button. Mm -hmm. And people don't fall on it when they float around? <laughs> no, because they cannot float around. They're because the experimenters are not floating. Yes, exactly. Right. The free floating is only in the free floating area. Right. So this means when I, as a media person, uh, walk through the aircraft during the flight, I can walk in the 1G phase? Sure. I'm supposed to not walk in the 1 Point eight G phase. No. Yes, supposed to sit down. Yes, or, or, or to stand, uh, as, uh, however you want. Yeah, but n no walking. Yeah, yeah. And in the too dangerous. Yeah, and in the zero G phase, um, I'm I have to be either hold myself or tied down under straps, just like the uh, when I'm in the in, in the experiment yeah. area. Exactly. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, it's everything is for your safety yeah. actually. It's your safety and the safety of the others. Yeah. Because if you free float, when you fall down, if you hurt only yourself, well yeah, yeah. I would say 
bad luck. That was your bad luck. It was your business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did not follow the rule. But yeah. imagine there is somebody uh, beyond you yeah. when you fall down. Yeah. He has found nothing. Sure. And you will hurt it. Or you destroy an experiment, or which is also... Well, um, well not destroy, but no, destroy. disturb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nonetheless, the, the, the racks that contain the experiments are also all padded a little yes, bit. Yes, all padded with yeah, yeah. foam, all protection. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So because accidents uh, can happen and occur at any time. Yeah. Uh, during the briefing on Monday, where, where you, you took place too, um, we show a video. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. That happened, uh, a little incident. Let's say it was an incident. Yeah. No accident because yeah. there was no injury um, yeah. at the end, very luckily. But um, we see a, a, a guy, very smart guy, with the strapped, uh, with the strap on his knee, so secure, and everything is fine. But little by little, if you focus on the video, mm -hmm. you see that the strap is going till the bottom of his knee. Yeah. And it was not like, you know, in uh, aeronautic we have... Um, We speak about the law of Murphy. Maybe you heard sure, about of it. Of course. The worst will happen. If, yeah, yeah. if it can happen, yeah, yeah. the worst will, will happen. happen. Make sure it will be shown that the worst will happen. Yeah. That was the case. So we see that this uh, strap is going little by little off from his knee. Yeah. And unfortunately, at this very parabola, it, would, it could have happened in another, but the, uh, we have um, a slight negative uh, peak of G. Yeah. At the very end, yeah. which sent everybody to the ceiling. Yeah. Everybody was trapped. Exactly. So nobody, everybody stayed in a secure yeah. uh, condition, except this poor guy yeah. with the strap was uh, going off. away. Yeah, 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 But yeah. he didn't ch check for that. Yeah. He didn't, uh, he didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so he was basically flung out, flung up to the yeah. ceiling and then... Not uh, com to completely to the ceiling, but uh, one meter. He, yeah. he fell down from one meter. When the cheese became positive again. And there was lots of stuff around him, so he was quite lucky that he yes, didn't we, hurt his we head. Yes, we were all lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Yes. We were all lucky. Yeah, right. And so you're five people? Uh, in the aircraft, we are a team of five. Yeah. Uh, but for every every day, we are uh, four. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. Right. So one person's not flying. Okay. Um, and I, I hear that you guys, you're allowed to walk during the 1.8G. Well, the thing is that it's not forbidden to ah, walk mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Hyper-G. Yeah. It's just highly not recommended <laughs> right. because it's difficult. Yeah, It's very difficult. You must be used to that. Yeah. You are twice heavier yeah. and we are not used to that. Yeah. If you see us walking, we would like we, we could say that we like we walk like a little monkey a little. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very deliberate. Clams clamsily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially that the, the padding are soft, mm -hmm. so you don't have a, um, a, a hard right. ground. Yeah, yeah. So it's not helping to yeah. walk pro, yeah. uh, as you, you are used. Yeah. And when you walk, you move your head. Mm -hmm. And we ask everybody to not, to, do not to move the head to avoid the motion sickness. When I was fly so flying... So we, we do everything you don't have to do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Don't follow us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was flying with uh, Sophia a few years back, um, of course, you can walk around in the cabin and obviously there is not 1.8 Gs, but when the aircraft is turning, there is a little bit of G, 1.2 maybe. And it was actually funny to walk around at that level because it's a, a different experience that you usually don't have when you fly a regular airliner. You're, not, no, you're yeah. usually not walking when they turn. So anyway, that, that was funny. So... Um, how did you get there? Um, by chance, I would say that was an opportunity. Um, when Novespace turned to another to a new aircraft, this A three hundred and ten, and when the three hundred retired, uh, they needed the new uh, personnel, new people qualified on this aircraft. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, the particularity of the A three hundred and ten is 
that is not produced anymore, yeah. not flown anymore, yeah. except by people from the French Air Force, which yeah. I was part of, ah. and, um, whom uh, two friends of mine are part of also. Okay. So we were qualified. They did qualify people. Mm -hmm. They um, they came to to us and very luckily, I would say. So you have been a, a, a military person before. Yes. Okay. So Additionally, I was also load master, so uh -huh. preparing lo loading right. the the, yeah. the the freight and yeah. so on. Looking for and weight and balance. Exactly, yeah. and that's also my second. The second um, aspect of my job here at Novespace, I developed all the program for weight and balance of the aircraft. So you, the aircraft. there's a piece of software then? Yes. And you can basically say which experiment with Where which to weight. place it, in the, exactly. And how many people are probably uh, associated with the experiments. So Completely. I could imagine that, I mean, weight and balance is obviously important for every aircraft to make sure it's safe in terms of stalls and stuff but here when you fly slow at the top of the parabola and when you do a little bit more extreme flying i could imagine that weight and balance is even more important it's even more important let's give you an example um this aircraft the hf 10 let's say that for a weight of about uh, 115 tons the maximum forward limit is 17 uh, percent mm -hmm. and the rear is 35 percent something like that and percent is a measure of the length of the aircraft yeah, so 70 portion, percent yes, means it's exactly. 17 percent of the length aft yeah from the leading edge to the you know, trailing edge exactly. of yeah. the of the wing yeah. and we reduced our flight envelope uh -huh. between 10 and tw uh, 20 and 30 percent okay mm -hmm. so divide almost divided by two the yeah. flight envelope yeah yeah, cool. But we have margins. Uh, we know that we can go a little yeah. if there is an issue uh, yeah. when people are moving in the aircraft. Yeah. Um, we know that we have uh, safety margins, yeah. but we are not allowed to use them. Sure, yeah. Like do you every happen, other aircraft. Yeah. Do, do you happen to know what the G limit is for the A310? Probably two points something like for every other airline or is it yes, I don't quite say it, no. 2.2 or 2.5 in maximum yeah. in yeah before having a maintenance section right. yeah 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 okay cool and so but <laughs> so just briefly to go back to your military part so you were then flying in the 310 which was probably used for transporting VIPs exactly yeah uh -huh. and so when and and probably the seats could be removed and you would and then it would be a cargo airplane that was your loadmaster job no uh, we had the aircraft was not uh, like MRTT, multi-role mm -hmm. ta yeah. transport tanker. We have uh, German, German uh, Luftwaffe have uh, yeah. um, A310 MRG. with this yeah, yeah. Uh, possibility. Yes. The French, from in the French Air Force, as we have many tactical aircraft such as Transal Hercule. Yeah, there was a Hercules just this morning. Yes, and, and also some um, Atlas now. Um, yeah. Our A310 are... Always equipped ah, with, yeah. a, with the upper deck with seats, and, okay. uh, and we load in, in the lower deck uh, okay. the containers and pallets. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then, uh, last question: What kind of training had did you have to do when you came here? I mean, you can't go to school and learn parabolic flight pursuing. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we were qualified on on the aircraft, yeah. like uh, it's the same qualification. And then provided by the French uh, National Authority for the Aviation. And, and that's about emergency doors and the evacuation procedures. Safety and devices. Safe, safety devices. Exactly. Yeah. And additionally, for the specific training uh, in, in, zero, in zero gravity, mm -hmm. we were trained by um, flight test um, paragliders, parachutes. Uh-huh. 
uh, there is um, in in the army in the, yeah. in the in the forces why the parachutes how is the connection to zero g because when you are not under the the wing oh, I see. you are free, free floating mm -hmm. yeah okay so they trained us and we learned how to move okay but it's a kind of different because when you are you falling there is hair on which you can um, play with yeah. your hands to turn yeah. Yeah. Whereas here it's inefficient. Yeah, but and then I guess you just learned with the company here on the aircraft. Yes, and on the aircraft, we yeah. they they gave us well, pilots were training and they asked us to come and we trained also during six or eight flights without yeah. any passenger, yeah, yeah. whole empty cabin just fun. for us. That was really fun. <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you very much. This with was pleasure. Nice. Cool. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much, all four of you, for uh, these explanations. I always like to chat about pilots and other space and aviation-related people about special kinds of flying, and the parabolas are certainly one of those special special kinds of flying. Very cool. So let's look at my own experience um, in Bordeaux. I spent the whole week basically down there. I flew down on Sunday afternoon because there was a safety briefing on Monday afternoon for everybody involved in the science and the flights. And I spent the week interviewing scientists, pilots and everybody else, uh, basically collected everything that you heard in this and the previous episode. I also uh, was able to go into the airplane. The A310 was parked on the Bordeaux air apron, basically just beyond a key card locked gate um, next to the Noves bus building so you could kind of just walk into the airplane and look at experiments and stuff that was a kind of funny situation because you're not used to having an A310 with open doors <laughs> kind of next to you very interesting I was one of four uh, press people that accompanied the DLR campaign and one of us flew on Tuesday One flew on Wednesday and two of us were scheduled to fly on Thursday. I was scheduled on Thursday. And so I arrived on Thursday morning at around 7.30 at the Novespas uh, building after a light breakfast in the hotel. Uh, I got into my flight suit and then I got the injection that Hervé talked about in his uh, narration before. Um, and then I visited the bathroom because there are no toilets on the airplane and the flight is uh, scheduled to take about three, three and a half, I mean, including taxi and stuff, a uh, bit over three hours. And so um, you want to make sure you have an empty bladder when you board the airplane. <laughs> we boarded, uh, the doors closed at around nine and we taxied across Bordeaux Airport to the runway, took off and flew to our airspace. Jolly atmosphere, everybody was looking forward to the research And also to a bit of fun, of course, there is this free float area in the cabin where people can experience weightlessness if they have time, uh, you know, away from the experiments. Uh, you know, you shouldn't free float uh, near the experiments. So at some point, um, you know, time suggested we were close to the airspace we would use for the parabolas. The cabin crew gathered at the front of the cabin. I didn't really noticed it didn't look suspicious to me but some of the more experienced parabola participants uh, said afterwards that that was kind of strange and a few moments later we heard an announcement it said roughly the following ladies and gentlemen we have discovered a mechanical issue with the aircraft that does not allow us to continue this flight it is not dangerous but we cannot fly the parabolas we'll return to bordeaux 
we are very sorry for the inconvenience. And it got quiet in the cabin. It was a bit unbelievable because this was the first time in 20 years that a parabolic flight had to be canceled. I think it might have been the first time it had to be canceled while they were airborne. Not sure about that. And um, so everybody was literally a little bit unbelieving. And uh, it became uh, very quiet in the cabin. Um, and, uh, well, we flew back to Bordeaux slowly, as it turns out. And I'll explain why in a moment. So we landed. And uh, after, I guess, about half an hour, uh, there were discussions. And um, the team explained to us what happened. And I'll just read you the press release that Novice Bus subsequently released because it summarizes quite well what happened. So, reading now. During the third flight of the parabolic flight campaign performed on the morning of Thursday, September 12th, while the aircraft was flying at 30,000 feet toward the zero-G flight area, one of the three left cockpit windshield layers suddenly cracked the outside layer. The crew decreased speed and started descent to prevent any aggravation of the problem and decided to come back to the airport without performing the parabolas. The general procedure in airliners would be to check with your hand or with some object if the internal layer is safe from cracks, in which case the flight would just go on and not need to be rerouted. But parabolic flight procedures are more demanding. And uh, Marcus uh, adding this here, um, because these flights change speeds, altitudes and temperatures rather quickly, you know, pressures change. Uh, it's not a good idea to do this with a uh, broken or cracked, I should say, windshield. Okay, continuing to read. After the landing, the maintenance team performed an inspection and proceeded to a windshield replacement. As a windshield was not available in Bordeaux and timing to replace it was estimated at a minimum of 48 hours, it was decided to postpone the parabolic flight uh, to Sunday afternoon. On Thursday, a windshield was identified and delivered Friday morning. Thursday afternoon, maintenance the teams started to remove the damaged windshield and continued this on Friday morning. This removal was not easy. There were some difficulties to remove some fixations and some nuts associated with those fixations were damaged during the removal and had to be replaced. Due to the removal timing and the necessity to look for and replace some nuts, on Friday end of morning, the maintenance team informed Novice Bus that it would not be possible to have the aircraft ready on Sunday afternoon, but on Monday afternoon, if there is no major problem during the reinstallation of the windshield. After asking the availability of PIs and at discussion, uh, DLR decided to cancel the flight in agreement with Novice Bus. The background here, editorializing again, Marcus here, um, is that um, some of the people couldn't stay until Monday. They had other um, you know, appointments. In some cases, the scientists had gathered enough um, data in the two previous flights and others uh, couldn't fly on Monday because their samples, biological samples in this case, just, you know, basically were spoiled by them. They couldn't use them anymore. So basically everybody kind of agreed that um, we would cancel. So continuing to read, finally the windshield was reinstalled on Saturday evening and the aircraft came back to Novice Bus parking on Sunday evening after 24-hour sealant curing. On Monday morning, The remaining equipment were reinstalled, tests were performed, and the aircraft was fit for flight on Monday afternoon. Of course, that was too late. And, uh, well, I was quite disappointed, of course. Um, you know, obviously, I will never fly to space. But um, 
flying on a parabolic flight was probably as close as I would get to experiencing, well, I would experience weightlessness uh, on parabolic flights. And so I was um, disappointed. And uh, well, um, Novus Bus and DLR are trying to get me into one of these flights at another opportunity. Um, talking about opportunities, um, they do offer these flights commercially. I think uh, Jean-Francois mentioned this during his interview. Go to air0g.com and uh, book a ticket if you're interested. I think it's 6,000 euros if you're, uh, well, not in Switzerland. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Jean-Francois said that as well. All right. Thank you, everybody, for um, your time um, talking to me. Um, thank you again very much, uh, DLR, Katrin, Elisabeth, um, for giving me the opportunity to join. And uh, thank you, Novespas, for uh, your hospitality during that week and uh, hoping that uh, I get to experience this at another time. Hope you guys enjoyed everything. Um, talk to you in about 10 days. Bye. Hello, Markus here for Omega Tau. Omega Tau is an independent and non-commercial podcast produced by Nora Ludwig and me, Markus Fötter. We are on the web at omegataupodcast.net. You can also find us on Facebook, Google+, and Twitter under the handle Omega Tau Podcast. We love to hear from you through a comment on the website, a post via our social network channels, or via an email at feedback at omegataupodcast.net. We also always appreciate recommendations of Omega Tau to your friends directly or through social media. Omega Tau is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative license 3.0. This means that you can freely share the content, but you cannot use it for commercial purposes and you cannot distribute derivative works. You always have to attribute the source, omegathowpodcast.net. Any quotations or citations of our work are perfectly fine, of course. For more details on the license, see creativecommons.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast and talk to you next time.